get ready for Mental Flock with Jeff and Bishop. Grab your snacks. It's about to get real. And real it shall be, because this is really, really, really the time for my rise story. This is Bishop, and... This is Jeff! Welcome back, everybody. So, you have found us here again. If you've been following along, you have heard four different fall stories and now one rise, and we hope it's been beneficial for you. So, you're about to hear my rise story, but before that, we are doing a shameless plea for texts and voicemails and words of encouragement, and if you found this uplifting, let us know about it. Anything you add of that nature definitely does put gas in the tank to make further episodes. So the number to reach out to us is 435-538-9556. And that's going to be a number you can leave a voicemail on or you can text. Whatever's better for you. Hell yeah. You can also send us listener mail questions. We are always looking for those. We'd be happy to do another listener mail episode. And at the end of this Rise Saga, we are going to have uh, hopefully all of us together in the same room and if you ever wanted the take of uh, four different people you've listened to fall apart and come back together, then uh, that might be your chance right there. Yeah, so <laughs> send us your shit, and the four of us will sort through your shit and help you organize your shit. Wait, we know how to organize now? Well, metaphorically. Okay. I was, I was confused for a second. I had questions. <laughs> so, Jeff, you have a card for my Rise story. What do you have, man? Okay. So the card that we pulled for your rise story is the Eight of Swords. So the Eight of Swords is that state in which you're just trapped. Your back is up against the wall. You're not exactly sure what's going to happen at this stage, but you just know shit's gone fuckward. And the imagery here is you have somebody who's bound and gagged and tied up and they're surrounded with eight swords around them. So they're kind of stumbling around blind. They don't have their hands to be able to fill out the situation. They don't have their eyes to be able to see the situation. And they just know, any which way I move, I'm going to get cut. This fucking sucks. I mean, that does sound like somebody who just fell from the Great Tower. So, well, yeah, that and it's... And, and I guess when we take a look at the entire suite of the swords, this is all dealing with the realm of the mind, but... Swords can be pretty harsh. They can be pretty cut and dry. Usually if it's like yes or no and you get a swords card, it's very definitive. This is yes, this is no. You got to act right now. And when we take a look at the journey, like going through the cards, you know, we'll, we'll start with the six of swords. The six of swords is very much, you realize you're not in a good situation. That's a, you are consciously making the decision to make a change. Like, I'm, fuck this, I'm out. But as you make that decision, you move on to the Seven of Swords. And this is where you're really finding out, like, hey, who's got my back? Like, who's my friend? Who's my enemy here? And you're seeing kind of the soldiers fall. And this leads you up to the Eight of Swords, where you're now, like, in a situation where any which way you move, you feel like you're going to get cut. Going to the Nine of Swords, the Nine of Swords is all about that fear, that anxiety. That's like the nightmare. That's like you're seeing the, the writing on the wall. You're just waiting for the hammer to fall now. And then the Ten of Swords is when it finally hits you. So you've been defeated. But hey, the upside with this is once it's over, it's 
you you got a fresh slate now. It's the situation is a lost cause, yeah. But that anticipation, like the you know going from like the seven of swords to the nine of swords, that's usually that there is the hard part. That's like so much worse than when that ten of swords actually happens. Once that finally happens, it's been like that anticipation is gone. Like the worst has happened. Like it's finally hit. And now you just got to deal with the consequences and pick up the pieces and keep trucking along. All right. Well, I guess it's my time to shine, huh? It's all you, boo. So here's the thing about living through a tower. You don't really know what it is at the time. For you, maybe a tower is one massive life-changing hit. And for others, it can be smaller hits after hits. They build up into a total collapse. Now, at no point during my fall could I actually pinpoint that my tower was falling. It felt like a series of events that were heartbreaking, and they just kept coming. Is that the same for you? Uh, yeah. Like, it was life-changing, world-ending shit, but to pinpoint it was a tower, that was like a hindsight thing. Yeah, I'd say it's like... Okay, I've been watching, like, a lot of house-flipping shows lately, because, you know, this is something that I really want to do at some point. And this is, like... You see a lot of these shows where they're like, okay, I have this house. I have these dreams. I have these ambitions. And you see, like, you're getting into it. And the roof is gone. The place is filled with mold. Because the roof is gone, water has leaked down through the floors. Like, all the floors are gone. There's water pooled in the basement now that needs to be... that needs to be pumped out and that water has been sitting so long that now the foundation is crumbling and you're trying the best that you can to scramble to try to like fix all of these things but sometimes the only thing that you can do in a situation like that is you take a look at your investments and like ask yourself like would it just be better just to demo this thing and walk away or a lot of times it's a well we're doing the best that we can, but all it takes is, you know, one, once all that damage is done, you just need, like, one bad day, one storm for the whole thing to blow over. Fair enough. So it's really the same for rebuilding. It is a bunch of smaller actions and changes that snowball into something amazing for once. It's not entirely easy for me to piece this together, truth be told. Uh, what you're hearing now is my second attempt at writing this all out. I have never really tried to tell my story of healing all in one go. And once you really hit rock bottom, you're pretty broken and mentally fragile. So the climb out of rock bottom is not going to be a straight shot. Because you need to learn an entirely new set of skills. Mistakes do get made along the way, and not every choice will be uh, a win or productive to healing. So as Paul Harvey would say, and now the rest of the story. I was an ethical man whore after my wife and I split up. I say ethical because I would never intentionally sleep with someone who I knew wanted more than a good time for me. I was really focused on the phrases shattered soul and broken. I felt like I had really lost my soul and it was in an unfathomable number of pieces. I could not effectively process emotions and feelings. I overreacted and overanalyzed things constantly. I had relationship PTSD and had a really hard time trusting anyone. I found myself in a situation ship by December of 2017. Now, mind you, the split with my ex-wife was in August of that year, and this situation ship was predictably toxic. She was always with me or she was at my house, and we spent a lot of time together. 
December 23rd, she was at your parents' house and I was alone, something I was not used to yet. Ten years of marriage to all of a sudden doing everything alone was a hell of a change. Oh, yeah. This night was starting, or this night was the start of my rise. Although I did not fully grasp it right then, I'd had a few beers and I sat in front of my desktop computer in the kitchen. I opened Blogger and I wrote a letter to myself titled Dear Bishop. I had never done anything like this before. And I told myself all the truths I had never had the guts to mentally tangle with before. I cried more than once. I was real with myself, and it opened the door to processing things I had been holding on to for over a decade. That post still does exist, and I exist, and I reflect back on it regularly. In fact, that post was the catalyst for a lot of different things we've tried to do together. Oh yeah. So back to the situationship. Well, let me back up. When when I got divorced, I was told a couple things by my ex-wife. I was told I was codependent. I was told I was a narcissist. I was told I was manipulative. And I was controlling. That was a lot for me to mentally take in, and I took it far too deep to heart. Oof. Yeah. So back to the situationship. She was a lesson I needed to learn. Two major issues stand out. For one, I was no longer able to keep alcohol in the house for any manner of time. She was unable to stay sober. Issue one was right there. Issue two was that she was controlling. For example, she would often make statements of, if you do XYZ thing, I will leave and you'll never see me again. One time this was literally said over a ringtone I had that she disliked. If I didn't quit using that ringtone, then she was gone. We are not talking about bad things or important things or even dangerous things here. It was just literally whenever she felt like the mood struck and she didn't like something, she would issue that ultimatum. When she drank, she got angry, and when she got angry, she liked to fight. And we're talking verbally, not physically. In this situation ship, we were still seeing other people, and we even rang in 2018 with a male, female, female threesome. Very healthy life choices there. <laughs> Eventually, in 2018, we parted ways, and she started seeing someone, and I was over the constant drinking and verbal abuse. And this is someone I have blocked from my life, and she has no way to contact me in person or through social media. As a side note, when we parted ways, she did reach out to many of my friends to tell them that I was a horrible person and that we, they should probably forget about me and be friends with her instead. God, Jesus. <laughs> Somehow no one took her up on that idea. So there was my lesson on being controlling. Onward to the next disaster. I mean, lesson. We shall call her Florida. Florida had an interesting backstory. From being raised in a cult, to being an intern at NASA, being a therapist, and at one point being a stripper. If this sounds like a far-fetched mix to you, you would not be alone in thinking so. Uh, I was in the date somebody hotter than my ex mindset, and once again, not healthy. Shocking, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Florida was cute, and she was a lot of fun in bed and enjoyed going to karaoke with me, but she was also a lot of drama in many ways. At one point, I wanted to go out to karaoke with my friends without Florida. She tried to invite herself out with a friend group and was upset when I declined. She messaged me not long into the night while it was still daylight. She wanted me to know she went hiking and had gone farther than usual and she claimed she was lost. But, these are her words, she would reach out to someone who wanted to and was able to come find her. Let that sink in. I responded with, well, you have cell service, so Google map the trailhead, set it to walk in and have a safe walk back to the car. (laughs) 
At some point not long after this, she told me she was pregnant, but forbid me to tell anyone. She then proceeded to reach out to most of my female friends and tell them that she was pregnant and that I knew it, but I didn't care about her or the baby. Jesus. We had a tribal conference coming up, and more about this in a second. But on the day of the conference, she made a big deal about not being able to come because she had to go do something that gave her a lot of anxiety, and it was going to be very important but painful. What does that sound like to you, Jeff? Um, it, I, I, are you thinking what I'm thinking, Brain? Yeah. Yeah, what do you think, man? Um, sounds like a word that starts with an A and ends with abortion. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. She was very public about that fact. It was a massage. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, like of all, all the manipulative, controlling, dramatic bolt. Oh, Jesus, dude. Seriously sounded like abortion, didn't it? That, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, oh, fuck, man. Like, no, fuck that. I, I'd be like, nope, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Combining all of this and the fact that I never felt like my daughter would be safe around her kids. I mean, that was like my daughter never met her kids. She was tiny, tiny at this point. But her kids didn't listen. They didn't respect her. If she tried to spank them, they laughed at her. Oh, of course. And yeah, I just, I couldn't see in my head introducing my daughter to these kids and letting them be in her presence. And just the thought of her getting hurt was just, mm, I couldn't do it. So So let, let me guess, like, you know, absolutely no control in her life whatsoever. No control over the children. Like everything is complete and total, like, fuck ways but it's everybody else's fault but her own yeah that that sounds pretty accurate we know we all know the type but that was the end for me in florida and that was my lesson on manipulation we all all learned that the hard way i would dare say that codependency was also part of that lesson with this one there's i'm not going to go into all the stories but there's just a lot of stupid shit uh so the tribe I had a tarot reading done, and my takeaway was that I needed to find my tribe. So I started a Facebook group, and I had become obsessed with TED Talks. Whenever I was feeling really down and I could pinpoint why it was, I would search for that issue followed by TED Talk on YouTube. Did you ever do that? Um, yeah. So this was part of my healing journey. TED Talks really helped me through some dark nights and some heavy shit. We had a tribal conference. That was a gathering of friends in my house that we had also live-streamed. We watched carefully selected TED Talk videos, discussed them, and some of us made a few small speeches. It ended with good food, drinking, and an all-around okay day. I actually drew a symbol for the tribe, and a few of us have it tattooed on us, myself included. Now, when I talked about the drinking every other weekend part of my life in my tower, this was during that part of my life. Like I said, small steps forward can and will happen. I was single again, and the man whoring was still happening on and off, but not as strong as it was right after the divorce. I don't talk about it as a way of bragging, but part of the experience. I'm not ashamed of it, but I also don't make it my personality. I'm going to say this much, though. Chubby guys who think no one will ever want them or be into them, you know, the low self-esteem, what was me? I am five foot nine, and I'm over 300 pounds. I quit keeping track of how many people I have slept with years ago, but the last count that I knew that was accurate was 60. So, chubby guys can't find love. Yeah, like, I think, you know, both both of us are testament to that. 
Like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting six foot and well, I'm trying to stay like on, on top of my health. Like when I started, um, like a little bit ago, like I stepped on the scale, at like 443 and like, here we are two weeks later, I'm down 337, but still not a small dude. So, and with that, like, yeah, we're both, you know, big bearded dudes. And I know there's other dudes out there and sorry if I'm like kind of hijacking your moment oh you're fine but yeah this was this was an interesting thing with like the we're talking about like all the different studies and things like that when we did when we were running the dating groups and like i would have dudes that would like come to me for readings and things like that that were you know a lot of these guys were like i'm on paper these are dudes that you would say were probably better than us they were probably arguably more attractive more successful, but their dating lives absolutely sucked. And, you know, asking them questions about like, well, like, how are you spending your time? Like, what kind of things do you like to do? Or And you, you'd find that like so many of these guys, like I, I, I found that like one guy, he had over 20 different dating apps. Holy shit. And he had premium subscriptions to three of them that he was paying for. And he had given up like on, he didn't have like any kind of hobbies or anything anymore because it's like he would, he would work 10 to 12 hours a day. And then he would spend at least five to six hours a day, just jumping from one of these dating sites to the other, just swiping, right, swiping, right, swiping, right. He would swipe right on everything, hoping that he would hit something. And then he would get depressed because you know, he would average maybe like of all of these 20 dating apps, maybe like three or four hits in a week. Maybe one person that would actually like talk to him. And I'm seeing this with like, you know, a lot of guys. And the thing is here, it's like they're they completely given up on themselves, completely given up on like any hobbies or anything that makes them interesting. They're putting their entire life behind I don't want to be lonely. I have to find a partner. I am making this my top priority. Nothing else matters. And ultimately, they push people away because what they become is fucking boring. And that's the key. You don't have to be the best looking dude in the universe. You just have to be interesting. Yeah, I don't think we've ever been accused of being boring. <laughs> I keep trying to say I'm sweet and innocent, but somehow nobody fucking believes that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Sorry, sorry for stealing your thunder there. For a You're fine. So like I said, that, that was my body count. Um, I won't claim it was a healthy choice. But I mean, like I said, I, I dove heavy into the man whoring, but it was definitely a distraction that I, I dove headfirst into. No pun intended. <laughs> or was it? <laughs> I was writing more again. I downloaded Tinder, and I ended up in a six-ish month relationship. Uh, she had recently been through rehab for drinking. She was staying here with friends, and she loved heavy metal, and she was still struggling with drinking. And although I offered to hide the shelf of booze, I mean, you saw the homage to booze in my old house. Oh, yeah. She always told me it wasn't something she needed. Uh, she would drink, and she would get jealous, and we had our fights, always verbal fights. I often told her that uh, this was the healthiest relationship I'd been in, and she often told me that was kind of sad. 
Drinking and verbally fighting were frequent, and in hindsight, I see what she means now. It, it was sad. It wasn't healthy. As far as a lesson in this relationship, I would say me being a people pleaser was an issue that this has helped address. And I also learned to stick to some values in this relationship and healthy boundaries. We haven't been Facebook friends in years. She's not blocked from what I have seen. She seems happy and good for her. We were both a bit lost and broken, and I hold no ill will towards her. We both had some glowing up to do. And seriously, that was boundaries for me. Setting boundaries definitely was something that I was working on. And while the boundaries I set weren't great for the relationship, they were great for me. (laughs) Um, By the time we split up, it was now 2019. I'd gotten lured back into the car business. Fun, fun. I was working with better uh, people and not hating life so much. Uh, Money was better. Hours were long and sucked. I'd once been a, a karaoke whore and I was going at least twice a week. For a long time, I was doing this. But the new schedule started to pull me out of it, and by July of 2019, things at work took a turn. Our general manager was a real piece of shit and prone to throwing temper tantrums in the middle of the dealership and making wild threats. I did not accept that as something I wanted to deal with as I was an adult. And I came to work to work, and I didn't do well with the guy who was supposedly in charge throwing temper tantrums. (laughs) So when the opportunity came along to go to work for a smaller dealer, I took it. I made new friends, bought a lot of new books. I got back into reading and really started to work on self-love, something I've always struggled with. And I dated somebody for a few months, not a bad person, but it wasn't a good fit. I was driven to go do things, and she was very content to spend weekends in bed watching Netflix. Fun for a while, but I needed more. It It gets old. It really does. And I mean, like I was reading more then. I'd bring books with me and everything. But after a while, it was just kind of like I want more out of life than this routine of one week and we're at my house, one week and we're at yours. And I also noticed she really liked attention. And that's what a lot of it was. It was interesting. So you were just a placeholder. Yeah. Just... Yeah. You're there because not necessarily because she liked you, but she was bored. Yeah, like I said, not a bad person. I wasn't a bad guy. It just, it wasn't for me. In October of 2019, my first friend that I made in Utah died in a single car accident. Fish was fish. He had his good moments and his bad moments, but we all loved him, and he was our asshole. The friend group was blindsided by his loss. I was hung up on the fact that the car he died in, I had sold to him. I sold it to him, uh because he was couch surfing. Um, I let him stay at my place. I sold him the car for a very, very, very discounted price. And I did it so he could go see his kids, at least, you know, once that I know of, he did. His kids were back in Idaho Falls. He had been married and divorced, and he had two daughters, and he loved the hell out of those kids. At one point, he broke a house rule, and I had to hold fast to that boundary, so I had to tell him he was no longer allowed to stay with me. It was just a few short months later that he was gone, and it messed with me for a long time. So sorry, dude. That was part of life. And I mean, I know he made his own choices. And yeah, he died in the car that I sold him. But what happened was his choice. And sooner or later, something different very well could have happened. He might have been around longer, but he was still kind of in a shitty living situation in life in general. So me selling him the car wasn't what killed him. It wasn't my fault. 
struggled with it for a long time though. Like, and that's, I mean, I think anytime that there's a loss in that kind of manner, there's always the, you know, what, you know, I could have done something. I should have done something like there's that tendency. Like, I think we all go through this where it's, you know, we kind of blame ourselves a little bit and do the whole, like, if I just would have done this, then they'd still be here. But I think ultimately like, there does come up the reality of the situation is like you can you never see it coming and you know life is just full of uncertainty like any one of us like any day you know could be your last it's like you just don't know and especially if it's a situation where it was like their own decisions like the path that they walked down led them there it's like all of the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, like you could have done absolutely everything absolutely perfectly and it still may, might not have made a difference. And I mean, he uh, he got a piece out before COVID happened, so that was kind of a blessing because he spent a lot of spare time in bars and he wouldn't have had anywhere to go. <laughs> oh, uh, it was interesting at his funeral, his brother, I uh, hadn't met him before, but he came up, he's like, you look kind of sad. I'm, you know, Fish's brother, and I just want you to know this is kind of what he's always wanted. He never wanted to grow old and have to wear diapers. That was always a concern of his. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was hard, man. It really was. So sorry, dude. Um, 2020 came, and I had been avoiding dating apps. I was thinking a lot about somebody who disappeared from my life, and I downloaded Facebook Dating, and Lo and behold, we found each other again. It was like I willed it into existence. We got so close so fast in many ways, and it was like we'd never lost touch. This was the situationship again. She spoke my love languages. We got each other, and God, did we have fun. I felt alive. I loved her, but we weren't allowed to use the L word. She had just broken up with her fiancé right before we reconnected, and she was engaged, and the whole reason that she disappeared from life was that her fiancé was jealous, and she lost a lot of friends out of jealousy. Um, just had to discard them, you know, from life. Came back in when they had a fight, and... Dude, it felt amazing for a while. It really was. In March of 22, right before COVID hit, uh, we loaded up the Volkswagen with myself, her, and two other friends, and we headed to Idaho Falls. Checking off a bucket list item, we went to the 2020 TEDx event to watch a friend from Idaho give an actual TED Talk. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was an amazing weekend. I still cherish that weekend. Um, and my birthday came, and to be honest, I have historically hated my birthday. She made it special, and you could feel that we both had so much to say, but we didn't. She told me not long after that she believed in time and place, and it wasn't our time and place. She told me on a night when I had friends over, and... Honestly, it, I was hurting a lot, and the friends were over, and I was the only guy in the house, and we were drinking, and it was one of the girl's birthdays, and she asked for me to be her birthday present, and that turned into a bishop, female, female, female experience. Shockingly, again, not a healthy choice, but one that was made. Jeff and I talk about how people will not change until they are sick of their own bullshit. Well, my friends, my heartbroken ass was officially so sick of my own bullshit. I was tired of being too scared to have these important conversations. I was sick of thinking I found my person in my happy place only to get crushed again. I was over it all. 
Q, Jeff entered my life amid the wastelands of COVID 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I swore off dating. I swore off sex. And I really threw myself into that stack of books that I bought. Jeff and I connected. We had a lot of deep conversations. We became fast friends and he read me pretty easy. He give, uh, gifted me one of his most in-depth readings, The Gauntlet. And it was hours long and I started. it started with a natal chart. And it just went deeper and deeper. And the payment for this service, I had to do something for myself because, surprise, he figured out I'm a charitable bastard who sucked at caring for himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's literally how it connected. And this is kind of like the other side of the story from your story. But yeah, that was really it right there. Uh, readings turned into rituals. In 2020, I burned my black cowboy hat that I had been married in at a ritual. I had a lot to let go of, and he really helped me with that. He introduced me to his friend group. We went and did stupid shit together, including taking shirtless pictures in kilts. <laughs> <laughs> the good old Antelope Island day. Oh, sm- smashing smashing the cars with the military vehicle. That, that, was, that was my favorite. That was a lot of fun. Um, at work, me and the owner had gone on an adventure to pick up a military truck because, in his words, real-life Tonka toy, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Drove it 1,800 miles back from Ohio, and at one point, we had two cars that were in our lot that were just donor vehicles and parts vehicles that we were done with, and this was a, a military wrecker from Vietnam. It was a 5'10 truck with a big crane on the back of it, and we uh, we used one car to beat the shit out of the other car like a giant wrecking ball. <laughs> one of the times I've gotten you out of bed the earliest and you were like, this is the only reason I'm getting up this early because this is fucking awesome. (laughs) See, the the dumb thing was, is like, yeah, you woke me up at like seven in the morning on a Sunday. But, you know, now that I'm like more, more of an adulty adult with (laughs) responsibilities and routine and whatnot, like, yeah, like now, now I'm up on at seven in the morning on, on Sundays, like anyway, but yeah. Back then, it was just like, okay, if you're waking my ass up at 7 in the morning on a Sunday, it it better be for, like, sex or bacon or or something good. But, yeah, like, smashing cars with a military vehicle would de- definitely, like, tops all the rest of it. It's a good reason <laughs> to get my ass out of bed that early. We uh, we played online games, and sometimes we drank in abundance. Yeah, 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 they're... Yeah. Is Drunk. this real life right now, or is this my sleep paralysis demon fucking with me? <laughs> one of the online game nights ended up in a massive cuddle puddle at my house. There was one lady who wouldn't shut up who ended up actually like muting and booting out of the chat group. And there was a handful of people that materialized from an hour away, I think, at the furthest, to yeah. my place in Orem, and it turned into a giant cuddle puddle. And then the next day we all went and got breakfast. It was not an orgy. It was a cuddle puddle. We made good choices that evening. <laughs> <laughs> but did we though? Did we? I mean, I mean, we could have. We could have made worse choices. We definitely could have. There could have been a moon out that night. But you know, hey, like like Oscar Wilde once said, you know, moderation in all things, including moderation and moderation. Like <laughs> you, you, you gotta let in a little chaos and stupid sometimes. You know, you gotta gotta shake it up a little bit. So yeah, make reasonable life choices or there was a a slogan that i saw on all of the medical wagons out of wasteland weekend that that i like and i feel like this applies to my life now where it just says party medium (laughs) and the reason that they had that was because they said like we're we're in the mojave desert here 
This is the desert. This is one of the most unforgiving, unhospitable like environments in the entire world. You go hard out here, you wind up taking a nap in the forever box. <laughs> so we, we tell people like, okay, while you're out here, try to make reasonable life decisions and don't party hard, but you know, maybe just party medium. Enough to have fun, but not enough to never have fun again. Exactly. <laughs> so this was when Jeff and I started that Utah dating group. Um, and I did join in under the conditions that I was off limits, like Jeff had said in his story. A few people still tried, though. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody wants what they can't have. I developed fuck-off energy about the time Jeff developed fuck-me energy. <laughs> <laughs> Being built similar in many ways and being similar people, we attracted a similar bunch. But one of us had the fuck-off energy. I won't go into more detail on that, but we were on similar journeys. I was just a few laps ahead by that time. <laughs> October of 2020 found me on Facebook dating again, and this is where I would meet my final lesson. I mean, I fucking hope it's my final lesson. Jesus. <laughs> she came on strong, she came on fast, and I fell for it. My heterosexual life mate and I were finally ready to buy a house. One of my other bucket list items I've been working on since my divorce, working on with intent since the start of 2020. Um, I always wanted my daughter to have her own room. And when I lived in Orm, I had a single wide. He rented a room. I had the master bedroom and my daughter either crashed with me or she slept on the couch. And it had always been my dream for her to have her own room. And we are recording this podcast episode in her room in my house in Salt Lake. I am. I am staring at approximately, let me see, one, two, three, like five unicorns. Look behind you. Oh, um, okay, a lot more than five. <laughs> in particular, like I'm, you know, the, the glowing, like electric neon one is, you know, kind of, kind of distracts from, like, but yeah, there's goddamn unicorns all over the place. That one's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, they're on the ceiling too. Yeah. There's a hammock full of them. Yeah, that's like one that's as big as she is up in that <laughs> hammock full of stuffed animals. Um, I had had plenty of red flags to see. I had boundaries of plenty that I cast aside in the name of keeping the peace and out of stupidity. I'm going to be honest, it was stupidity. August of 2021, found my heterosexual life mate and I buying a five-bedroom in Salt Lake City that we all fit in. Him, me, the girlfriend, her two kids, and her mother... And the dog. She used me. She took me for a ride. I took a selfie in October of 2021 that I shit you not, I look dead in it. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that, dude. I was gray. I was physically fucking gray. I wasn't filtered. I was gray. <sighs> I knew it was bad when my ex-wife looked at me and told me I looked like shit and asked me what was wrong. And I had told myself I wasn't going to drag anybody else into my bullshit. And I was at work. She was dropping my daughter off when she saw me and was like, what the hell happened to you? You look like shit. And so I flat out told her what was going on, um, basically because I knew it was going to be a change for Jackie because, you know, my girlfriend at the time had two kids and they lived with us and Jackie had gotten used to playing with them. But at the same time, those kids weren't great for my daughter. I knew it was doubly bad when I had come home from work, walked past her mom, went to our bedroom, and fell into bed and silently cried. 
She came inside from smoking and watching TikTok videos an hour or so later. I heard her mom point blank say, Hey, Bishop came home and didn't say anything. He didn't even eat anything. He went right to bed. Her, oh, okay. He looked like hell. Her, oh, okay. Then she went back outside and continued to smoke, watch TikTok, and read trashy romance novels she could find on Amazon. She came to bed forever later and never tried to talk to me about it or ask me what was up at any point about it. It was just never brought up by her. It was just, I had my bad night and that was my issue. I spent a week pondering our relationship and the things I had asked of her. And then I pondered what she'd asked of me and what I had done. Now, keeping score is not exactly healthy, but for me, this was eye-opening. I had asked for some pretty basic things. I had asked her to read the Five Love Languages book early in 2021. I told her that communication was important to me and healthy communication, understanding how to better support each other was incredibly important to me. She watched, I don't know how many hours of TikTok. She read, I don't know how many trashy romance stories on Amazon and watched countless episodes of anything on Netflix, but she never found time to read that little book. And I mean, you've seen it. It's, it's, yeah, it's thick. It's not that big of a book. I read that entire book in two sittings and it wasn't like I spent two days off reading it. It was like a couple hours, but she never made time for that. I allowed her to drive my vehicles and my rule was that she could drive them, but she couldn't smoke in them. I vape, but she smokes cigarettes. My daughter's in my car. I didn't want that in there. I didn't want them to get damaged. And she smoked in both of them heavily. I even brought it up to her like, hey, why are you smoking in my car? Well, it's cold outside. And so I sit there with the door cracked and I smoke in the car. And I'm like, yeah, it friggin' stinks. Don't do that. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus. I had asked her... That since she had weekends off to clean the upstairs floor and to pick up the trash, like on a Saturday, could you do this for me? It makes it a lot easier for me to relax so I can come home and the house is clean. I asked her to do this because I was working 10-hour days, five days a week, and I had a two-hour commute each day. She worked a regular nine-to-five job and had weekends off. Oh, geez, yeah, I remember that, like when your job moved to, to Springville, was it? Mm-hmm. And... I would come home on my weekends and I would have, you know, Sunday and Monday off. And I could spend Sunday and Monday cleaning the house, making everything look nice. And by the time I came home from work on Tuesday, it was unrecognizable. I was told that my standards for cleanliness were unreasonable. Really? Really. I remember being able to cook in the house like maybe once or twice while they were with me. But like after they did finally leave, I remember making myself over easy eggs and toast, which is something I've been craving for forever. It's such a stupid, simple meal, but I love it. And like every time I'd get up in the morning, be like, all right, I'm up before everybody else. I'm going to make myself some breakfast. And just the kitchen sink would be both sides full of dishes, not a clean plate to be found in the house, no clean silverware and nothing. So it was, well, if you want to eat this, you're going to have to wade through all of this bullshit that's been here for however long and uh, then make it and then deal with it. So I, I didn't until they left. <laughs> Jesus. Um, 
January 1st of 2022, I stood up for myself and ended the relationship. I gave her one month to relocate, and she'd already stiffed me for her portion of the house payment in December while asking for food money because she came up short, like she did every month. I was an ATM. That's what I was. Every month she needed a couple hundred bucks for this or that. And here was the deal. We all paid towards the house. She and I were paying 800 bucks a month each towards the house. That was our agreement before we ever moved in together. And I paid for all of the utilities in the house with the exception of internet. So she paid 800 bucks a month towards the house and she paid for internet. She was on my phone plan. She was supposed to pay me, but she didn't. And she bought food for the house. Me being one person with a daughter who I had every other weekend. So the house was primarily her mom and her two kids and the dog. And then, you know, my heterosexual life mate was home every once in a while. But he didn't always eat with us. She was making more money than I'd ever known her to be making. Had the least amount of bills. And every month she needed a couple hundred bucks for me. So it sounds like all total, like, her portion of the bills was less than a thousand a month. Maybe slightly over. But still, like, dude, like, how many of us are looking at that saying, like, I, I'd kill for, like, my my bills to, to only be that much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... That's, that's fucked up, dude. I'm sorry. I, uh... I'd gone downstairs this was like right after christmas and i realized i was like hey you uh you borrowed money for food you haven't sent me any money to pay towards the house payment that's coming up quick in january do you have house payment money well i can send you everything i have in my account minus like 20 bucks to save for smokes until i get paid and that's like it was like i think around 600 bucks but if I do that, you're going to need to buy food for the house until I get paid again. To which I said, you know what? I'm just going to send that right back to you, and I guess I'm going to figure this shit out on my own. And she said, okay. Never an apology, never a conversation, just a, okay, whatever. Jesus. So when I came home that January 1st, and I told her that I was done. I didn't want to be in a relationship with her anymore. She didn't ask why it was over. She didn't want to try to fix anything. She was upset with the time frame that she had to figure shit out in, which was one month. Told me right up she needed more time, and I said, you know, it's interesting. We had an agreement that when you moved in here, we were both going to pay X amount. And you stiffed me on that last month. And unfortunately, that agreement was in place because, you know, I can't just shoulder the burden of paying for everything. And I had to use the savings I had in case shit happens to cover last month. But I really don't have any extra time to give you without losing this house. Um, man, I've... Shit's got to get paid. I've discovered different things that I used to have that I don't have anymore that left when she did. <laughs> I I cleaned up my daughter's bedroom with her last weekend, and I realized how much of my daughter's shit her kids had destroyed. She used to have a really nice Disney princess like doll set that went with storybooks. She has one left that my daughter told me she quote unquote had to hide so it didn't get destroyed. Jeez. Um, 
It was bad, man. So, if I can chime in here for a second. Yeah. There was was something that I, I don't remember how long ago it was that I watched this. But they had, like, on the news at the time, it was a couple that made the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest marriage. It was, they had been married for like 70, 80 years or something like that. It was just like crazy. Like, you know, both of them like pushing a hundred and they, they asked them like, okay, well, I mean, you're, you guys are in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest marriage in history. Like there's so many people out there that, you know, they, they, they just can't make it work. So like, what would you say is your secret to, to being able to, to, to make it last for that long. And the guy said, you know, people ask this question all the time. And I hear other people chime in. They always say, everybody always says, like, communication is key. Communication is key. Communication is key. It's like, yeah, it is to a degree. But more than anything else, I think the key to us having the relationship that's lasted as long as it does is respect. Says that's you know, aside from love, it's like, that's really like all you need is just respect, trust, and love. Because if you actually respect your partner, you're going to communicate with them. If you actually respect your partner, you're not going to cheat on them. If you actually respect your partner, you're not going to treat them like shit. So everything else, you know, communication, trust, everything else, like hinges on that respect. And if somebody is just a generally disrespectful person, they're not going to make any kind of relationship work. And like third party perspective here, giving just, you know, my perspective on the situation. I wouldn't take this personally because this just seems like somebody who just did not ever learn respect or accountability. Everything is going to be somebody else's problem. And they have become an inherently disrespectful person. They're going to be an inherently disrespectful person in any relationship that they try to get in. And with that, they're raising inherently disrespectful children. So, like, I'm so sorry that you went through this, dude. But, like, ultimately, just third-party perspective looking at this. Like, just, yeah, communication is important, but it's, it's respect is key. Well, and I think a big thing that I, I picked up on was I didn't feel appreciated. If she asked me to do something and I did it, I'm not saying, like, I need kudos for every time I do something, but if she asked me to do something and I did it, it was like, oh, okay. There was never a, hey, thanks for taking care of that for me, or this really helped me out, or anything. If it was she needed extra money for food for the house, it was hey, and you just send me this. It wasn't. Yeah, it was a, just. It, it was just expected. Yeah. And I remember the first time we actually had a fight was, I uh, I had the day off and I was laying in bed. And I had been out of the house like a couple times during that day doing different things. And I had two different vehicles, and her mom's car was parked in the driveway. And she gets home from. Uh, from work and she walks into the bedroom, looks at me and says, well, mom's been blocked in all day. So she hasn't been able to go to the store. So she hasn't been able to make dinner. 
so you're buying dinner for everybody tonight. And I said, excuse well, that's, me? That's rude as hell. Yeah. And it was in that tone, like, hey, uh, this is your fault, so it's your problem. And this had, like, come recently after I talked to them about, like, I can't just keep bleeding money out to you every time you guys have an issue. <laughs> Jeez, this sounds kind of familiar, you know, not to hijack your story, mm-hmm. but, like, yeah, this just reminds me of, like, kind of going back to, like, the bad roommate situation that I was in. Had a situation there where, like, the air conditioning in the apartment never fully worked right. And management came. They sent, like, maintenance out or whatnot. They just told us flat out, like, yeah, don't don't ever expect that the apartment's going to get any cooler than 75 degrees. It's just not going to happen. Like, you know, you guys have top-level apartment with the vaulted ceilings. It's as cool as it's going to get. You get what you get. Don't push it beyond that. And I happened to have this portable air conditioner because the house that I had Magna didn't have any AC. So we just like had that and whatever room was needed at the time. But that thing was a power suck. So I let the roommates know, Hey, you can't just leave this thing running. Like you can use it as needed, but just make sure that it's only used in the room where you're actually at. And that it's actually used as needed. Make sure you turn it off when you're done. Did they listen? No. We wound up with a $600 electricity bill that month. Jesus. And that became suddenly my problem. I admit I kind of like, you know, made the dick move there. I was just like, well, like I I told you guys, like this is what was going to happen. So call the power company, get on a payment plan, but like, don't make this my problem because you fucking did this. So, but it's just that similar, just that it's that fundamental lack of respect. It's a, it's just, oh, well, I don't care if I'm responsible or you're responsible. It just, whatever it is, it's like, I'm making this your problem. Like, no, I'm sorry, no, like, hey, can we talk about this? Just, oh, by the way, here's this pile of bullshit. That's your problem now. Well, and I, I ended up telling her, I'm like, I've left the house a couple times today. Your mom hasn't been blocked in all day. And I, if I've been here and she was blocked in, at no point did she ever ask me to move the vehicle. There was no communication. There was not an all day being blocked in the driveway. And my keys are by the door. And so I said, I don't have the money to go buy everybody dinner. And no, I'm not fucking doing that. This isn't my fault. And that was kind of our first fight. I ended up actually leaving the house and going and just going for a drive and getting away because I just did not want to be around her. But anyways, if I had to pinpoint a rise moment as being pivotal, this is one of them for sure. The lesson here was what it was like to be used. I had feared it. I had, that was one of my biggest fears of online dating was just the free dinner guy or he's good enough to go out with to get dinner tonight, but I don't really want to meet him or, you know, any of that other bullshit. Wash the toad for me. Yes, exactly. Uh, In 2022, that was a banner year. They were gone by late January and, uh, I had friends come over and help me clean the house and it was, it was fucking bad, man. We had to do a big ass dump run. We had to wash down the walls, the floors. 
the amount of shit that was like on the side of the oven between the fridge and the oven was gross. I had to steam clean shit. I literally bought a steam cleaner to clean shit. Oh, jeez. I had bought one of her kids a uh, bookcase, like a three shelf bookcase, because he was starting to finally get into reading for his birthday. And that was in September. And they left like tail end of January. That thing had crayon all up and down one side. It had shit carved into it on the other side. The back was completely broken out of it. Oh, Jesus. That's how they treated the house. We had to repaint the room that the kids were in downstairs because on one side, apparently one of them had a bloody nose and just used the wall to clean that up with. Oh, jeez. Somebody else put nail polish on another side. Somebody else was drawing a pencil on the other side. It, it was trashed. Absolutely trashed. But 2022 was a banner year because I did start writing again. I swore off relationships for one year. For one entire year. I did go on dates, but I kept my resolve about relationships. I was somewhat open to the possibility that if something truly amazing and right came along, I would break that commitment to myself. But I kept my boundaries and I had standards again. Energy attracts and a lot of broken people are attracted to positive energy. But this time I had my wits about me and I was not about to let the red flags lure me back in. If it felt like a shit show, I was out before you could blink. If the vibe was off, we st- we parted ways. I did some very light man whoring. I left the dealership in February because I wasn't feeling respected and they weren't willing to compensate me better than my starting wages from 2019 with my two hour commute now. I became a freight broker and I met some amazing people. But in the summer, I was given the opportunity of a lifetime to become a service writer for a family-owned repair facility. And I jumped at the chance. I blew through a stack of books. I made new friends. I went on adventures with my daughter and solo ones as well. I made an amazing friend from what had been a Friends Would Benefit situation off of Tinder. And she has helped me in more ways than I can count. I went to concerts and I started living. In fact, this friend took me to see Jelly Roll. In October last year. Oh, hell yeah. That was amazing. But here's the real kicker. In 2022, I found self-love. Something that I had been seeking and searching for and struggling with since I was a kid. I, like, for real found self-love. All of these books and TED Talks and writing sessions and life experiences led me to being the best mental health space of my life. I lost or removed a lot of people from my life along this journey. And that's something anybody will find true. When you start changing and healing and doing what's right for you, there's going to be people that don't like it. Oh yeah. In the end, the only true actual loss was fish because he was gone and it wasn't my choice or necessarily even his choice. But that was really the only loss out of the people that I have removed from my life between the time this tower fell and now. We learn, we change, and we grow, or we stay the same miserable bastards at the base of a fallen tower, asking when the hurting will stop while constantly walking into oncoming traffic. If you keep living a same shit, different day life, you will have a same shit, different day existence. They say that time heals all wounds, but I'm here to tell you that what you do with that time is what actually fucking heals you. If you don't put forth the effort to change your life, you'll never have a rise story to tell. And that, my friends, is my rise story.
Like you got to just, you got to do the hard shit, especially on the days when you don't feel like doing it. That last X has a very strong victim mentality, which I'm sure you probably picked up on your limited interactions with them. Yeah. And they, they can't contact me unless they show up at my house or they email me, but that takes effort. So I don't think they will. But at one point when I read one of my books, I always post a review online after I read a book. And I posted a review and it was on Instagram. And apparently one of her mom's like best friends was stalking my Instagram for months at this point and left a comment about how I really need to check out like the narcissist diagnostic textbook for extreme narcissism. Oh, Jesus. Because everything that happened, it wasn't her fault. It was mine. But I think that comment <laughs> kind of, that comment kind of shows the mentality. Like you see that it, it it's, it's a family thing here. There's, you know, a fundamental lack of accountability. And with that, a fundamental lack of respect. And with this, like people can behave in whatever manner they so choose. And if they ever do wrong, it's, it, 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 well, it wasn't my fault. It was because of this or, you know, that person, they, you know, or there, there's, there's always an excuse and always a justification for it. But it's something that we've said over and over again, like on this podcast, like nothing changes until you get sick of your own bullshit. You can sit there and point fingers and say like, well, yeah, 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 you know, it was it, like I was treated poorly as a child and then I was in this abusive relationship and then like I, I sat on Santa Claus' lap at the mall and he got a boner and, you know, now blah, blah, blah and I can't do this and, but nothing changes until you get sick of your own bullshit and you say, you know what, like, yeah, like this shit happened. Like it, it, Socrates once said, if we were to take all of the suffering in the world and put it into a giant pile from which everyone had to take an equal share, almost everyone would be content to just take their own troubles back and go back home. So I'm going to throw this out here, and this is going to be a little bit funny-ish. Nothing changes until you're sick of your own bullshit, right? Yeah. So when I had fuck off energy and you had fuck me energy, <laughs> how many times did I tell you you needed to take a sabbatical from the man whoring and do you? Well, you, you told me time and time again. But you yeah. weren't sick of your own shit. Well, no, I wasn't. And <laughs> yeah, and, and with that, it's like I had to fuck around and find out, literally. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not trying to roast you, but I just want people to know that we we are humans. We don't have everything figured out. We didn't then. We don't now. We're not infallible. But what we're telling you about that you don't change until you're sick of your own bullshit, that rule has applied to us in our lives many times. Oh, yeah. Like, and I, I'm, you know, we, you, we, we're still learning. We're still growing. I've, we've still got bullshit that we're trying to sort out. Mm-hmm. And like, and every day you wake up and you find like, okay, yeah, here's this new bullshit thing that I realized that I need to do better about. But, you know, and, and sometimes you're going to backslide. It's not, it, it's not perfect, but. You just have to make the commitment. You have to keep going and you you just have to stop pointing the finger everywhere 
except for yourself. You got to realize that it's, you know, the old stoic philosophies of you may not be able to control what happens to you, but you are 100% in control of how you choose to respond to what happens to you. I was uh, just reading one of Gary John Bishop's books about uh, love. It's Love Unfucked. And one of the things he goes over over and over again in that book is how even in a relationship, the only thing you have control over is yourself. Like, oh, yeah. And it's and this is um, you know, books that I've been kind of revisiting. Um, Conscious Loving by uh, Kathleen Gay Hendricks. That's one that like I would recommend to, that everybody read, like as far as being able to have like a healthy relationship. And that book is entirely about, like, we're not focusing on this is, you know, you as a couple, like, what you guys need to do and blah, blah, blah. This is a, no, this is entirely, like, each individual, like, in this relationship needs to work on these things individually. You need to do this on your own for yourself. You need to do that. You need to do this on your own and for yourself. If both of you are doing this separately on your own and for yourselves, then you'll be able to come together and actually make a functional relationship happen. And this is also themes that like the, you know, the classic book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is one that I'm revisiting currently. You know, he talks about like all of these men, like with their, you know, the, um, what was, what was the term that I used for it? The, the, the unconscious contracts or the, no, the covert contracts, not plainly stating what it is that they want or, or what they need, or, you know, just hoping that they can, like, indirectly somehow, like, manipulate things, or, and they, the common theme, he says, throughout this book that he sees, is, like, all of these men in these relationships where they're unhappy with their partners, he says, and more often than not, it, when he sits down, he starts working with these men, it's when these men start making changes for themselves, they start working on themselves, making the changes for themselves instead of focusing on how do I get my partner to change. Says that's when their partners start to become more receptive and start, you know, seeing like, okay, well, they're stepping up their game. Like I'm going to have to step up my game too. He says it, it doesn't always work. Whenever you start making positive changes that, you know, there, there's people that are going to fall off the side. He says, but this is something that, you know, you, you have to become okay with. And like, the only thing that's going to fix the relationship is if you start working on yourself, but you have to be okay with the idea of one or two things are going to happen here. You're going to rise up and then they're going to see that and they're going to start rising up to meet you. Or the relationship is going to be sent to a long overdue end. In uh, Love Unfucked, Gary actually says in there, if you are reading this book with the intention of figuring out how to get your partner to do what they need to do to better themselves, you're wasting your fucking time. Put this book down. Give it to somebody who could use it better. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's true. Change has to come from within for ourselves, through ourselves. We can't wish, learn, or manipulate people to be better. I was going to say, you remember it was uh, Saturday Night Live, Al Franken's character of the... Stuart Smalley. Like he, <laughs> Look good. what I can do. I, oh, no. This this was a, probably older than that. Like okay. He was, um, like, Al Franken character. It was, like, this, like, 
very like just kind of like out there new agey psychologist characters you know supposed to be a caricature and the, the like i'm good enough i'm smart enough and doggone it people like me but with the character there was a few things that were actually like you know a few decently poignant like bits of psychological wisdom like and one of the things that they that the character said in a sketch that you know was actually quite poignant when you think about it is you know it's easier to put on slippers than it is to try to carpet the entire world <laughs> that's awesome for those of you who are struggling with self-love be it single be in a relationship Whatever the case may be, Single on Purpose by John Kim is absolutely positively a fucking amazing read. And I will recommend it loudly and proudly to anybody who actually wants to better themselves that it is a great book to check out. Well, guys, I think that's the end of my Tower episode. Any questions, comments, concerns over there, Jeff Fafa? Um, Where do babies come from? Well, there's this thing called the stork, and you have Google, you damn bastard. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Um, Jeff's episode is going to go live February 13th. Mine's going to be March 13th. And then we've got to meet up with Ariel and AJ to get their stories, and then the Royal Rumble of the Tower People happens after that. All right. Cool, cool. Send us your questions. Send us your comments. Send us your praise. Leave us a voicemail. Leave us a text message. Leave us your money. <laughs> I mean, I do have on my blog my all my links with my link to my Venmo, and I wouldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> I got a new sewer line to buy. Now we need more comfortable chairs for recording. Yeah, yeah, these, these ones. My butt's numb. It's true. <laughs> Our contact number is 435-538-9556. We look forward to your questions, comments, concerns. And really, voicemails might just get incorporated into the show. It would be awesome to have more of those. So I want to thank you for listening to my story, all my bullshit, my twisting tales, my man-whoring. But I've come out a lot better on the other end. Well, Jeff, anything you want to say to sign off with there, sir? Just like and subscribe. And if you tell two friends, and they tell two friends. <laughs> and then you, all you have to do is sit back and collect the profit. <laughs> all right, everybody. We will catch you next time on Ariel's Rise Story. Thanks for listening. Bye.